Welcome to an anthology of wonder, and today I'm going to try to give you an overview of how to create a language in 20 minutes. And there's a lot of reasons you might be wanting to make a language. You might be a writer wanting to give your world a more real feeling, or you might just like languages and be trying to invent one for the sake of inventing one. Maybe to foster international communication. That is, you'd be making an auxiliary language. Or you might want to make one that's completely logical and that follows the rules to a T. And yeah, let's get started. So, first thing to do is think about why you're making this language in the first place, and that will help you get an idea of, in the big picture, what is this language going to be like. You can think about the sound of it, whether you want it to sound more guttural and rough, or smooth, or musical even. And you can also, if you're doing this for the sake of a fantasy world-building exercise, Think about the culture that this language is going to develop in, because culture will have a lot of influence on language, and it's a good way to reinforce and to remind whoever may be interacting with this language what are the things that your culture values. And so we're going to think first about the sounds of this language. It doesn't necessarily have to have sounds. It might be a signing language, or else it could be a language of sounds, except it could be sounds of an alien language, which would be probably totally different from a human-sounding language. And so you a good way to find and to compare the sounds of different languages is to go look on wiki tongues wiki tongues uh, they're on youtube and what they have is just clips or short video shortish videos of people just talking casually in a certain language in any language pretty much there's they have a lot of really useful languages and so if you're curious about how languages sound and you know look through the videos and if you find ones you like maybe google like phenomes that is a fancy word for sounds of x language and you can borrow some of those and also think about sound groupings languages will have groups of sounds that they like to put together so in English, we have the K sound, which would be represented by a K or in some cases a C. And so like can't is an example of a hard K sound that begins a word. But night begins with a K and yet we don't pronounce it knight because the hard, the K sound doesn't really go well with the N sound in this language. 
And so, yeah, if you want to have certain sounds crop up very regularly, you should try and instill them in very common words like the or a or it, if your language even has words for those. There are a lot of cool things you can do with languages, and there are many languages that do not have a word for the or a. And something else you can do is tones. Uh, a lot of people describe a Chinese accent as very sing-song and musical, and that's because their language has tones which will influence the meaning of a word. You will probably have to do more research on that on your own, because I'm definitely not an expert in the Chinese language, but it's something interesting to look into. You can think of sounds as the most basic building blocks of a language. They're literally what a language is made out of. But before we can start building words, we have to have some rules for grammar. And I know it seems counterintuitive because you would think first you need to have words before you figure out how you put them together, but grammar varies so much that you need to first determine the kinds of words your language will even have. There was an invented language. I, I don't know the name of it, I'm afraid, but it was made without verbs, specifically to test if it was possible to have a language without verbs. And there are languages, that, natural languages, that don't have a word for A or the or that have different ways of expressing this, completely different from the European languages that a lot of my listeners will be familiar with. I'm just guessing, seeing as this is in English. Um, so, verbs are pretty much the backbone of a language, and conjugation is very very much going to be, I would say, the first thing you want to determine. Start with the infinitive form of a verb, and the infinitive form of a verb is unconjugated, or it's not, no one is doing this action. So think of to run, that's the infinitive, and when we use that in a sentence with a subject, someone who is running, we have to change the way that sounds. I run, he runs, we ran. And from the way we change the verb, it conveys certain information. So ran is in the past tense. We know that someone or some people, or I don't know, some objects, maybe a robot, is, was running. Not is running, but was running. And so we convey time, and to a certain degree in English, we also convey who is doing the action. So I run, whereas he runs. So even though both run and runs are in the present tense, it changes based on whether I am doing the action or he or she or they are doing the action. But there are languages, like Korean, that don't conjugate based on time or the person doing the action, 
but instead conjugate only on formality of the situation. So the relative social level of the speaker or who's being spoken about or spoken to. And there are, there I believe is a language that has evidentials that conjugates their verbs based on how they gathered this information, whether it's something they witnessed with their own eyes or whether it's something they conjectured logically or it's something someone else told them and also how long ago it was when they received this information. And so as I was talking about before with language being a way to reveal culture, you choosing what you conjugate by can be a really good way to emphasize that a specific culture values a specific trait. So as I used Korean as an example, it conjugates based on formality. And formality in Korean and a lot of East Asian societies has a much more, has a lot more importance placed on it than it does in America, where I'm speaking from. But verbs aren't the only thing that makes up grammar. There is also sentence order. So you could have a language that goes like English, I ate an apple. But you could also have a subject-object verb, and it would sound kind of like Yoda, I and Apple ate. You can do a lot of different ways. Or you can say, if, uh, so a lot of us, I would guess, are native English speakers listening to this. And in schools, we probably had to learn a language. And if you're like me, the language you learned was Spanish. And one of the things you realized is that Spanish puts their adjectives after the nouns. So instead of saying the red ball uh, in Spanish, it would be the ball red. So you can just change these little things like that. And I would say just unless you're making a language that is specifically and consciously based off of your native language, Be careful that you don't let yourself assume that the way your language does it is the only way to do it, because it's really hard to escape the bounds of what you've been hearing your whole life. And seriously, you're limiting yourself if you try to just make up some different words and put them into the same old grammar, because there's a lot of diversity in languages. It's crazy. And so once you have a basic idea of how the grammar and the sounds are going to look, you can start making some vocabulary. Start with some simple sentences and conversational phrases like, hello, how are you? Um, Food, walking, wanting, just these things that you would need to know if you were suddenly dropped into this entire other planet that only speaks this language. But after you have a little bit of vocab down, we can also, we can start to consider if your language is going to have a writing system. And it doesn't need a writing system. The same way that some languages are not spoken but signed or, I don't know, tapped out in Morse code, it can be without writing. There are probably, there are languages even today that do not exist in a written form because 
they never needed one. They just communicate to each other without writing. And, but writing is a really cool thing. And even though you can definitely use the Latin alphabet, I feel like if I was going to create a language, which I'm kind of considering doing, I would probably make up my own script because there's a lot of opportunities there to just create something really funky and cool. So when creating a writing system, you have to consider when it developed. If this is a a hypothetical fantasy language that a culture, even if it's a made up culture, is going to use, what tools did they have to record this? So Norse runes are very angular. There's no circles in them. And that's because they were carving into stone. And it's very, very hard to make a circle in stone. If they were using a line alphabet, they would either have to take a whole lot of time into this or else they would probably change it up a little bit and make it more angular. And if you're writing in mud or on some sort of paper, paper paper-like substance, you might not need to make everything angular, but maybe this is a very fragile paper and so you can't press very hard. And so you would have to use a continuous script with very few picking up and putting down again. And you don't even have to use an alphabet when you're making a language. You can have a specific picture for each word, or you can have syllable representations like Japanese does, where each character doesn't stand for a sound, but a syllable. And then start writing down some vocabulary. And you might also want to consider if this is a language that is not an auxiliary or a philosophical language, but is something you're making up inside a, a society or a culture, you'll want to consider how this language has changed over time. There's going to be irregularities in the grammar. There's going to be slang, probably, and abbreviations, because people are like that. And so one thing you can do is say a word really fast. Pretend that you're a 14th century merchant shouting across a marketplace. There's going to be some stuff that's lost, some sounds that are lost or slurred over. And that's how pronunciation changes, basically. People have to communicate information quickly and clearly and concisely. So they have slang, abbreviations, they shorten a word. Or in writing, they have to write quickly, so they develop a cursive script or a shorthand. For example, um, Chinese characters, they're really complex and intricate. And even though there is a simplified form available, there's still people who have done Chinese cursive. And if you Google that, it looks like some really, really cool scribbles. And seriously, I would recommend that you Google that because it's awesome and equally awesome in the beauty of it, but also very awesome that there are people who can actually read that. 
it's surprising and kind of cool. And you can change the pronunciation of a word, but you don't necessarily have to change the spelling to go along with it. You can make a word vaguer than it used to be. So Kleenex is a brand, but nowadays it can also be used to mean any kind of tissues. Or you can make it more specific. So in Spanish, salsa means any kind of sauce. So mayonnaise is salsa and ketchup is salsa. But in America, it means specifically the spicy red stuff that comes from Mexico. And speaking of how a word changes across languages, your language, unless it's the only language available in this world that you, may, that you might be making alongside it, is going to interact with other languages. There are going to be immigrants who have learned both languages. There's going to be borrowing of terms. So for English, as an example, think of um, deja vu. Think of amigo. Um, there's going to be some grammar and things that are going to drift across as languages interact. And I would say even if your language is very, very strict about keeping the language pure, there's still going to be a little bit of sliding, especially if your language is not the dominant language of the time. And especially if there's an age of technological advancement. And so the words for like computer or cell phone in most languages are going to sound pretty similar to the way they sound in English because they're going to be borrowed from English and just adapted to the accents and sounds of a language. And yeah, just get sloppy with grammar. That's how things go. That's how people are. And yeah. This isn't a perfect guide to creating a language. Uh, if you're seriously interested in doing this, I would recommend that you check out The Art of Language Invention by David J. Peterson. He is actually paid to invent languages, which is a very enviable job. And if you're not really thinking about creating a language, but the concept itself is intriguing to you and you want to find out more about languages other people have made, you should check out In the Land of Invented Languages by Arika Okrent. It's a very good book, very funny. Both of them are. So I'm going to try and do a thing where every week, which I'm going to end the episodes by showing a fun word or quote to consider. And so this week, I'm doing a word from uh, the invented language Esperanto. And that word is strompetoin. Strompetoin. Can you guess what it is? Probably not. It's socks. And I just like the way it sounds. It's really funny. So... Thank you for listening, and hopefully I'll see you next week.